Welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I'm your co-host Carter Laren, and I am joined, as always, by the bad mama jamma, Carrie Smith. Say something, Carrie. Say something awesome. Can you hear me? Uh oh. Carrie can't hear me, so we'll have to deal with that technical issue. Um, but I'm sure she would say hello to everyone if she could. Let me go. Let me go uh, chat with her just a moment. Carrie, you can't hear me. Okay. I can't hear Carter. Right, but okay, Libby can hear me, right, Libby? No, no mm -hmm. one can hear me now. Libby can yeah, hear me. I can, I can hear you. Okay, great. So that's Hi. that's our guest, who I haven't introduced yet, Hello. but at least she's got her technical issues sorted out. Um, <laughs> Carrie's going to come back on. Anyway, welcome to uh, Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. Sorry for the rough start. Um, you can go to unsafespace.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Space. Uh, most importantly, though, please subscribe and share the content on YouTube. Share, 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 share it with your friends. Put it on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. If you're on any of the weird social networks, uh, put it there. Uh, would love to uh, love to get more and more people involved in the conversation, telling us when we're wrong and... Uh, I don't know, just chatting uh, generally. So today we have uh, we have the opportunity to speak with Libby Emmons, who you just had a glimpse of. Uh, Libby has written for Colette, The Federalist, The Post-Millennial, Arc Digital, and Narratively, among others. Uh, an award-winning playwright living in Brooklyn, New York. She writes on culture, feminism, tech, and big ideas. You can follow her on Twitter at li88yinc. Just think of the eights as Bs. And you can write her name, I-N-C, L-I-8-8-Y-I-N-C. Welcome to Deprogrammed, Libby. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Do we have Carrie back? Okay. Carrie's back. I'm here. Can you guys oh, hear me? I, I can't hear Carrie now. Can you, can you hear, hear me, Carrie, Libby? Libby? I can hear everybody. Wow, Libby's got it Yay. sorted out today. But I'm using my phone instead of my computer. Oh, maybe huh. that's the right way to go. That's why. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But uh, Carrie, can I can't anybody, hear you. But um, can the viewers hear me? I'm not really sure what we should do about that because mm -hmm. if you can't hear me, uh, it's I can just hear as bad you now. If I can't hear you. So why don't we do this? <laughs> no, uh, I can hear you. I will start a discussion with Libby. Log back off and on one more time, Carrie. And if it doesn't work that time, I'll try okay. logging back and on. And back okay. on while you guys have a discussion. So anyway, uh, sorry again, Libby, for the technical issues. Uh, I want to start. Like, I found you. I'm not well, bothered by it. I'm bothered. I'm very self-conscious about technical issues. Uh, <laughs> I, I found you originally um, because I read an article that you wrote titled, let me find it here, The Folly of Disappearing Art and Culture. And I want to get to what you talked about in that article. But then... Um, I kind of spent some time reading a lot of your stuff. You're very prolific. You write about a lot of things. You write often. Uh, I think you called yourself in, in one article, you called yourself a fast true. writer. So I, I guess that must be true. Um, yeah. Uh, or, or you don't sleep. I don't know. But uh, but I and maybe it's better to start with a different article because you wrote about, you wrote an article um, titled Writing for Colette Ended My Theater Project. And you were referencing a previous article you wrote called The Transhumanism Revolution, Oppression Disguised as Liberation. And I kind of think that's a great article to start with. Can you tell us a little bit about 
what that article was about, and then we can get into why it bothered some people so much. And, and while you do that, while you do that, sure. let me, I'm going to so, drop off and um, let Carrie go because I can't hear Carrie again. So I'm gonna try and solve okay. the tech problems. So are you still so. can hear me? Okay. Okay. So I'll just I'll I'll just talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll just say this things. Is funny. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Okay. Um, it's like tag teaming interviews. It is. So. Yeah, so the transhumanism revolution, I had um, been listening to a lot of podcasts. I had this like day job where I was um, just sitting around listening to podcasts all day. So I spent a couple of years doing a lot of research uh, into what really is the primary source material of the tech movement, I think, these days, which are podcasts like um, Future Thinkers and Future Grind um, and Twimmel Talk and a lot of podcasts that really dig into what's going on in tech. And it will be um, hosts just talking to people who are working in tech and, and thinking through things in these areas. And it's fascinating. So I started listening to a lot of that and transcribing large chunks of it so that I could think about it later. Because it's not like you can go pick up someone's book, but that's stuff that they've been thinking about for a while. And then it goes through the editing process. And it's not like what they're thinking about right this second. And so these podcasts really do an awful lot of this primary source instant research work and it's fascinating to hear they're thinking about you know yesterday as opposed to via outlines and mm -hmm. you know book deadlines and things like that so yeah so I was transcribing a lot of it and I started to get the sense that um, there were a lot of western culture that were driving toward contained in transhumanism mostly is now called humanity plus kind of moving away from the the transhumanism hmm. uh, so yeah so i just these notes and thinking a lot about it and i started thinking that um we maybe weren't totally aware that these were things that were undercurrents that were driving this direction so ai i think is a huge one ai and also machine learning which i've since been doing more research into and also find just unbelievably fascinating things like grinding or body hacking where we are augmenting our bodies with um tech either receptors or, or limbs which on the one hand is great for people who could use better working limbs and on the other hand it's like are we replacing healthy limbs hmm. with technological components and what is that about what is that not necessarily that it's good or bad um, in terms of a value judgment, but what is that about that we want to replace a healthy, you know, whatever arm or leg with something that is manufactured, what's that about? So uh, those two things. And then the thing that caused the most problem was that I was also starting to think about uh, transgender ideology mm. and what that is. And all three of these things combined, um, body hacking, um, AI integration and transgender all would give you the impression that there is a distinct mind-body split that um, you know that which we can dream of in the mind can be implemented in the body without having an effect necessarily on the integrity of the mind and this is of course a very old question in philosophy this is not the first question that's been asked but it's kind of amazing to me that it's right here on the table in a very, very practical sense, they're looking at it. If, if in transgender, for example, 
if a mind can be born, if a mind can have a body that is not integrated with that mind, how is that, first of all, how is that possible and what is that about? Um, if we can augment our bodies with tech and have our minds stay the same, is that possible or are the two things completely linked? And of course, we don't know that much about the brain. It's like the more we learn about the brain, the less we seem to know about it. I'm certainly not a neuroscientist either at school. So this is all like, you know, exploration from this other kind of perspective. But yeah, so that's what I was writing about. I was really happy to publish with Quillette. I think they're um, a great place for open ideas and discourse. And I was, you know, it was a really intense editing process. We went through it for like, I think a month and a half or something, we ended up with the final piece. And yeah, so this is what I wrote about. Um, and yeah, I can keep going. This is what led to the dissolution of my theater company as right. well, was writing for, so it, writing for Quillette and writing about trans. It doesn't seem like on the surface, so it doesn't what seem is, that writing about this. Can you hear me, this, Uh-oh. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Can you hear, can so, you hear uh, me, Carrie? What I don't is think Carrie the, can uh, I think for people who haven't, because when I read your transhumanism piece, uh, I was just sort of blown away with uh -huh. some of the, uh, the, the things this, that you were linking to, like some of the technological advancements. So for people who may not be familiar with it, with transhumanism, like um, what are some of, I guess, the possible things that we're going to see in the future that you, that you touched on in that piece? Um, okay, well, like the idea of having your mind separate in a cloud. <laughs> right. So, yeah, some of the initial tenets of transhumanism when I started doing this research have changed. But what they were at the time were um, mostly about liberation of the human from the human being, if you will. So um, what would you have? There's like, oh, I wish I could. I wish I had looked at it for five seconds. Anyway, it's um, there's liberation of consciousness would be the last one, but there's uh, liberation from the limitations of the human body in terms of what we're capable of physically. There's liberation from the reproductive um, restrictions of the human body. So liberation from women, for example, having to be the vessels of future generations, liberation from consciousness, which would be um, meaning that your thoughts and personality and who you are don't have to be connected to um, your human body. That's so uh, crazy. Uh, there's a, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of this also, and what you would have now if you talk to people who were involved in transhumanism and now Humanity Plus, a lot of what they're talking about now has more to do with life extension. So all of these things where you're liberating the human consciousness or the basically from the limitations of the human body has to do with life extension toward an eventual goal of permanent life extension. The only way you could really do a permanent life extension, I mean, the human body is going to expire at some point, whether you can get it to live for a hundred years, eventually it's going to break down and expire. Um, even with all of the potential life extension um, technologies. Uh, so Humanity Plus is more moving in that direction of like permanent life, like just life extension through technological advancement. But um, yeah, all 
these things are abandoned the body in order to live forever. Because consciousness as an entity, as, you know, some kind of electric energy, you could imagine that being able to exist in some other kind of physical um, container, I suppose. Right. So, so yeah, that's pretty fascinating. So one of the things you mentioned, liberation from uh, like reproduction, mm-hmm. explain that. Like, what does that look like? So we're totally moving in that direction anyway, right? Liberation from reproduction. And this is something I've written about in The Federalist as well, because I feel like, you know, as a feminist and someone who's interested in, um, you know, certain a measure of autonomy for women and girls, that liberation from reproduction. And you say like, well, reproduction and the, the reproductive mandate if you want to call it that, is the purview of women. It's all about women's bodies, right? Women have born every human being that has ever lived. That's what, you know, that's what the human, Mm -hmm. that's what the woman's body has done. So to liberate um, humans from reproduction is basically to liberate women from reproduction. And if we liberate women from reproduction and we say, women no longer have to bear human young. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, there's certainly technology that is on the way that can make that possible. There are, you know, the artificial wombs and stuff like that. Um, there's cloning. There's, you know, peop- there's scientists who um, have grown embryos in labs and then you can't grow them past 14 days, I believe. Uh, but that's all possible people are doing that research it's moving in that direction right mm-hmm. um what does that mean to be a woman if reproduction is not part of uh your you know your consideration right even, right it makes me like, think of uh the book brave new world why where they're just growing the babies in brave new world test tubes yeah that's crazy right and then we just all take sleeping pills and go you know, further the economy with our work product. Yeah. So, but why have women? Like, there's no reason to have women if women are not reproducing young because we're weaker and smaller. And more neurotic. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> and more neurotic, you know, I'll ask, ask Jordan standard deviation. So, um, yeah, so I thought, like, that's fascinating. If we liberate human being from the burden of reproduction and if we think of it even as a burden thing about the worth of women is that something we want also is there value in motherhood is there value to being a mother is there value to having a mother want to be a species that has relinquished the mother-child bond why and yeah. if we do want that what do we want to replace it where are all, I mean, the world, well, half the Western world anyway, in therapy to figure out what the deal is between them and their mothers, right? Um, what is it to advocate for a generation of intentional orphans? I think that's who is going to yeah. be terrifying. Yeah. I think it's a terrifying concept. Yeah. I'm not sure know, that it's possible. I, I'm sure. I'm just thinking of the research that shows all the problems that people have if they don't bond with that, with their mother in the, the first few years, you know, right. that kind of um, 
human connection. Like you're kind of reflected back. You see yourself reflected back through, through your mom. And I just, uh, I don't know, this, this future kind of scares me. This brave new world scares me. Yeah. Right. And I wonder what this, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Carter. Oh, I I was just going to ask, what is it to not, what is it? Yeah. I was going to ask you a question anyway. So so do you think, yeah. Yeah, no, I never really wanted to have kids. Um, it was just not really something I wanted to do. And then I found myself like on the verge of being a person who, if I was having children, it would be a geriatric pregnancy. And I was like, Oh, that sounds crazy. And I found that I was not able to say no to the possibility of life. I was not able to say yes to a few things than a mother. So, and I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm grateful every single day that I had a child and we, I'm crazy about them. I'm for them all the time because the world is bats. But um, I'm really grateful yeah. for the relationship and to be able to, to um, and to guide him. So I, I the question I was going to ask is... So um, uh, Carter wait, and I can't hear... Yes. So, I know, I know. I We can't time. hear each other. So I'm going to play the role of once in a while, I'll jump in and, and mute Carrie because I'm the only one who's allowed to mute people. And then I'll unmute Carrie, I know I'm a horrible did. guy. I see but, that's what you did. Uh, so anyway, um, sorry, Gary. <laughs> I know I'm a, I'm a toxic, toxic, <laughs> toxic masculinity at at, uh, at play here. I I just want to yeah. ask a real quick question, yeah. and then I'll 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 jump out and be silent for a while and let Carrie do her thing. But to me, the the idea that um, being a mother is only carrying the, like. I, I know that carrying the baby in in your womb and giving birth is part of the maternal experience. But to me, it's kind of arrogant to think like, oh, if we engineer our way out of that, like there's no moms anymore, like we're done, like that's motherhood. But like science shows us, I mean, not only just psychology, but even just uh, your gut, your gut bacteria are, are rela- your gut bacteria are something that you get as a right. baby as you pass through the vaginal canal and are born. So right. like there's a lot more to be, and, and that's, just, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, a non-genetic, non, not really gestational uh, relationship with your mom. But then the emotional relationship with, with a parent is, uh, it's, to me, it's kind of arrogant to think that like, oh, we'll do some tech and then in a few generations, we like will transition away from having parents. Like, I don't think that's as simple as we think it is partly because we don't understand human psychology uh, very right. well. I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that? And then I'll mute myself and enable Carrie. Well, I think, you know, we're still animals. We can't get away from the fact that we're animals and we need, we are as much our physical bodies as we are our mental, our mental capabilities. There's not really, I just, I just don't see how there's really that much distinction between between the the mind and the body. We receive all of the information about the natural and physical world around us through our senses. We what would we replace our sensory inputs with? Would it all be some sort of like, you know, extrasensory AI? And if it is, who's making those who's making that tech and what are their biases and what um you know, what are those biases going to be telling us about the world around us that we don't even know what those biases are, at least with our own biases. And it's it's certainly true also that bias is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. We need biases. We need to be able to snap judgments about why not to step into the street right away, about 
you know, depth perception even about like hungry lions or whatever it is about like crazy people. You know, it's like I live in New York City. Uh, if there's a person ranting to themselves, if that's what they appear to be doing, I tend to get on a different subway car. That's a bias. <laughs> I'm biased sure. against that person. It's also rational, though. I mean, because it's a little, yeah, it's a little rational. But if I didn't have the spidey sense to say, um, or if I didn't have the experience of my senses, how would I know not to go stand next to that guy? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like we need to have, we need to have some basic information about the world in order to navigate it. But we don't necessarily need other people's buying manufactured tech that are then giving us information that we're not even aware that it's giving us mm. that's driving our thoughts and driving our actions um, and reprogramming us according to some other set of biases where those people don't even know what they're buying. That's a really good point. It's just really compounded. Right. So if I've got an input that's like, hey, that creepy dude is fine because the input was designed right. by Google and they think there's nothing wrong with that set of parameters. Mm -hmm. um, then my spidey sense is not being tripped when maybe it would be if I had my complete senses and we don't understand how any of that works anyway right now. Um, right. So, and this is also something I've, um, this is also something that radical feminists have been talking about recently. And I've recently uh, been dealing a lot of, with a lot of like feminism and women's rights stuff. Uh, like I went to a talk with Sheila Jeffries last Friday and then I went to a panel at the UN about um, uh, the dignity of, femininity, motherhood worldwide and things like that. And there's, there were some articles recently in the Federalist talking about how, about like drag queen story hour at libraries. Um, and what's been like, it's sort of like, so children will be approached by, um, you know, drag queen at story hour and be a little creeped out because if you're not in that world necessarily, you're not, you know, you're not really aware of um, ideas about self-expression and, you know, the freedom that comes from that. Certainly, I have anti queens at all. But if you have a toddler who is like wary of someone that they can't uh, identify and picture, and you're pushing them, the child towards that person and saying like everything's fine, you know, that's sort of an issue that people are talking about. I haven't really made a a thorough study of that, but it does have something to do with innate biases and what that means. And like, at what point should you be trying to get someone to overcome their innate biases? Is that a childhood thing that's better left for an adult? I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. Like my son definitely wants to talk to everybody on the subway. And when he was a toddler, he did too. And he's just always having questions about people's appearance. And I just never know I never know what to say or how to deal with it. It's kind of like, well, oh, we're all here on the subway. We're all perfectly equal on the subway. <laughs> like that's what we're doing here. Um, but it's interesting to see kids react differently to people that they don't necessarily recognize. How much of that? Um, like, it's just complicated. I don't have a good. Uh, I don't have a good answer for any of that. Well, I mean, it's interesting. It's certainly, it's certainly out there and we should think about it. Yeah, you're making me think of, uh, so there's a guy named Gavin DeBecker who does a lot of uh, security stuff and he, he wrote a book um, about uh, actually helping children to understand. We used to say like stranger danger, like avoid children. And his argument was, no, you've got to like treat that. You've got to teach them to be able to understand their kind of spidey senses that you were talking about when like 
why does someone feel weird or why does the situation feel weird or why is this person creepy but that person not creepy and um you know it's something that you know he talks specifically with doing like forcing your kid to like say okay you go pay and interact with this clerk right instead of me or you talk yeah, to this person that. and then having a conversation afterwards yeah. and be like how did you feel about the person were they weird like like and yeah that's something that uh you know I think we get lost in this. So is this this is this what got you in trouble with? Because uh, I want to like this is all very interesting, and I could geek out on this with you but, forever. But what yeah, got you in so, trouble? Like, <laughs> why is this so bad? Um, okay, so I published the article in Quillette in July 2018, and then I had started a theater company. Um, I had a theater company for a very long time called Blue Box Productions that I ran with um, David Marcus, who is my husband and who's on staff at the Federalist and another friend of mine who asked me not to ever talk about her on social media or anything. So I won't, um, but she's a close friend of mine. So we had a theater company for a long time. We did a show called sticky. That was a bar play series and we ran it at Bowery poetry club here in New York. Um, and then we closed that down and uh, my friend and I started a feminist theater collective called puss collective. And uh, it was based on having done a show of mine called How to Sell Your Gang Rape Baby for Parts that I had written for her and I to perform. And we actually won the most offensive award at the festival for the offensive. <laughs> um, and then we also ran at the uh, Frigid Festival at the Crane Theater here in New York. And we decided on a project and that we wanted to do a musical um, about uh, called Friend Box, which was about uh, what would happen if you got a subscription box friend. We did that. We started that. I guess about a year ago now. And we were working with um, three other women on that. And so when July came around, we'd already been working for a while. Um, we had some songs written and we were working on the script. And I let them know that I had written this piece just to say like, our site might get more traffic. So what is our, like, what do we even have going on on there? Let's look at that. And uh, they didn't really pay any attention, which was fine. I mean, I don't care. And then in October, and I posted it on my Facebook and people were um, advising me to go look at critical race and gender theory, which you know, I went to Sarah Lawrence College and then I went to Columbia and I've been doing New York arts for a long time. So I'd certainly done my fair share of uh, reading in those areas, um, which doesn't say I don't have more to learn about whatever, but anyway. So then in October, uh, my Facebook thread started getting a little more action, the one from July. And I looked at it and there were some um, women that I had worked with in the city who basically said, you're transphobic and I'm not friends with you anymore and bye. And I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be a problem for me, like right now. <laughs> so uh, I was in San Francisco at a play reading uh, from a different play of mine, um, Exit Theater. And I was just like, like really, because um, I knew this was gonna happen. I knew this was gonna happen, and I was like, ah, ah. So I got back to the city. We had a read through uh, that had been previously scheduled, and after the read through, the director that um, was one of the women in the group who was directing the show uh, basically handed me my ass and was like, "You're punching down, and you're transphobic, and you are hurting people, and you are inciting violence, and you need to apologize." And I was just like, wow, like you got, I'm obviously not going to apologize for my work. Plus, even if I did apologize, it's not like that would help. Anything. No, it never does. And I'm obviously like, I wrote this 
I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize. So, um, yeah, so I left that rehearsal and, um, um, yeah, I was pretty upset about it. And this uh, is your project, by the way, just to clarify. Like 1996. Right? This is your yeah, thing. You founded this theater group. I founded this project. Uh, these were all, and all the women who were in the project, Puss Collective, Friend Box, um, had worked on How to Sell Your Gang Rape Baby for Parts, which you could judge by the title. Like, I didn't pull any punches on that. It yep. was very, it's a very radical feminist piece. Um it's hysterical, I think, but like it's a very radical feminist piece. There was no bones about that. So, anyways, I I kept trying to get in touch with them and be like, I think we could work. So I keep doing the project. One of the women in the group I had gone to college with had been friends with since 1996. She has not spoken to me since. Um, the director hasn't spoken to me. I did one of the other women a couple of times, and she was like. Yeah, I've been wondering, do I have to cut you out of my life entirely? And I was like, oh, it's your call, man. It's your call. Um, and then my other friend who I'd founded the company with, she and I are still close. So, I mean, she's like my sister sort of thing. So, um, anyway, that's what happened. And then I got in touch with Colette because uh, I, I was kind of willing to just not do any more of this kind of writing, which I hadn't told them. Oh. But... I, yeah, I was kind of just like, if it's a choice between making art and doing this work, yeah, I was having this inkling, like, maybe I'll just make art and yep. shut up. Um, so I had that thought, and I was like, maybe I'll just do that. Um, but yeah, that's not how it worked out. <laughs> and so now I'm writing, like, a hundred times more than I had been before. So, yes. So then I wrote about that in Quillette as well. Um, thereby, can you guys hear me now? Putting the uh, yeah, I can... yay, I'm back. C Carter, can you hear? Karen? No, but that's okay. No. When I see you talking, I'll just try and shut up. I cannot hear you. Well, I just have okay, anyway. So, yeah, that was my story. That's like okay. so. Did I miss the story about so, you? Um, okay, I mean, there's getting kicked out of my theater project, yeah. I mean, uh, I just told that whole story. <laughs> There's a what's going on here because that's a it's a far reach to claim that you're transphobic just because you talked about mind body integration basically in an article, which is what I'm guessing. Yeah, well, yeah I, I mean, I, it's also kind of messed up to add phobic to the end of trans just because you have someone who wants to have a debate mm. on whether gender or sex is what's innate. And what it means to um, say that you are born in the wrong body. I mean, the other thing too that's so interesting about trans is it's basically the idea with who you are is at odds with who you are, right? And that's a new development in the train of human thought. Um, we should acknowledge that the feminist movement of the 20th century was most, hey, you know, you're fine just how you are. You're fine short, you're fine with small boobs, you're fine with long hair, you're fine with short hair, you're fine with big feet, you're fine if you wanna wear dresses, you're fine if you wanna wear Oxfords, it's fine. Like, you're good, please stop trying to conform to every random standard of beauty that comes along, you don't have to do that. 
And then with the idea of trans, trans basically entrenches gender stereotypes for men and women. It says, women, if you are into pants and sneakers and short hair and climbing trees, maybe that means you're a boy. And boys, if you're femme, maybe that means you're a girl. It, it, by the end of the 20th century, femme boys and you know, masculine girls was fine. Nobody really cared. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal. Right. You know, like, why didn't, why do you care? You can have your body and express yourself however you choose. That doesn't mean you are something other than what you are. And it's fine to be what you are. What's the big deal? Yeah. So I do think that that is a complete contradiction of the 20th century feminist movement. And as we have now, like, feminists embracing the idea that, um, men are women, like trans women are women, it's kind of a complete capitulation to the idea that gender stereotypes are what matter. Are what matter, yeah. As opposed to, yeah, as opposed to like liberation from those stereotypes. Yeah. I So I am... As a feminist, that's I'm going to log off because it's hard for Carter and I to tell who's talking, but I have one question for you before I go. <laughs> so, or I want to talk about one thing, okay. that article that I, I missed you guys talking about, about you getting kicked out of your own theater project. Um, did you talk about the fact that they tried to force this identity of cis on you and that you were like, no, oh, I didn't, I didn't talk about that. Yeah. No, yeah, that's something my director said was that as a cis white woman, it, uh, trans identity was not something I could understand. And I said, no, I am not. I'm not cis. I love that. that. Make any sense to me. I love I that because, because they want you to define yourself in relation to a very a fraction of a percentage of the population. And I, they, I, it's the creation of a new binary. And why do we have to subscribe to a new binary? And the other thing that does is cis is about uh, you subscribe to the gender stereotypes associated with your birth sex. And it's like, for sure, I, for sure, I don't. Yeah. For sure, I don't. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I love that I'm part of your cool piece. And it. It, made me, it made me sit, stand up and cheer because that pisses me off to no end. I'm like, I am not cis. I'm a right. friggin' woman period. No. And, uh, yeah. and you don't get to tell me who I am. That, that to me reveals everything about that ideology. And by the way, I don't know if you know my background, Libby, but I was a, I was a real missionary for SJW belief system. And, uh, when I, <laughs> when I left it and started realizing what it really was versus what it sold itself as, um, it became very apparent the further I got away from it, the longer I've been out of it, that it's all about control. Like they really want to control mm. other people. And and that's a great example of it, of them redefining terms, like coming up with new um, words and then forcing you to use them. And um, like, no, I'm not. It's not, yeah. And it's not only forcing, the, forcing you to use them in speech, it's forcing you to use them in your own thought process. Yeah. Because the mandate is that you change your own thought process in order to accommodate you know, this, in the case of trans, in order to accommodate, like, 1% of the population. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my husband is crawling on the floor to get my son's music book. <laughs> I saw the arm. You're okay. I huh? saw the arm. 
Um, okay, thank you. I'm I'm gonna try and stick yeah. around in case at some point Carter and I can hear each other. But I I'm glad I got to talk to you about that, and I'm a big fan of your work. And um, oh, so and much. Carter, Carter, let me give the floor back to you. Uh, I'll type that. Tell tell him I'm giving him the floor. <laughs> okay, pleasure pleasure talking yeah, to you, there. Carter. Carrie is giving you the floor back. No, I you know what I don't I. It sucks because I enjoy a conversation with Hi. all of us, but uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. This is kind of strange. I'm like the you are. Today. So yeah. this is the second. This is the second uh, live stream that we've done where Google has presented like serious problems for us. So, uh, you know, I think we may we need to figure out a, an alternative to Google Hangouts because uh, it's it's really weird. Last week we didn't have a start broadcast button, uh, <laughs> which just didn't show up. This week we can't Do hear you need each other. So. Oh well. Um, so I think I got the gist mostly of what you guys were talking about, uh, even though I couldn't hear Carrie, because I think it was uh, questions that Carrie had talked to me earlier about, uh, and and she told me she wanted to to ask you. So um, maybe we can kind of move on to this this piece that you wrote in Quillette uh, called "The Folly of Disappearing Art and Culture." Okay. Um, you know, and by the way, I've also noticed. So you've you've written you seem to write a lot about uh, media and and culture a little bit. I noticed that you did a couple of reviews. You did a review of a a show called Shrill, um, yeah. which I had I had never heard of. But um, you said it's you said that the title is Hulu's Shrill is unfunny woke comedy that celebrates female entitlement. Now that right. may be true, but your article is quite funny. So yeah. I suggest people go to the Federalist if they want to enjoy Shrill. They just need to read your article on it. And, oh my uh, god. Yeah, I had way too much fun writing that. Can I interrupt one yeah, second? No, and I also noticed that you wrote you wrote a Wait, review. Carrie's Carrie's interrupting you. Hold on. Oh, I'm interrupt. uh oh, sorry, Carrie. Uh, uh, go ahead. Speak. I read that article yesterday, Libby, and I didn't I didn't look at who wrote it. <laughs> and I loved it. The review. Oh, so and I actually um I know the writer of the show, or used to when I was in SJW, we had her on a TV show I produced. And um she is very well. I'm not going to talk about her personally, but the what, writing, what, I think you nailed it. In that it's it's not Lindy West, yeah. In that it's not about humor. It's not about being funny as much as it is. It's about um, enforcing this ideology. Like that's more important than the humor. And I think a lot of comedy. I used to work in comedy. I think a lot of comedy has become that way now, where it's it's more uh, they put the ideology before yeah. laughter. So yeah, I quit. That's a, that's a lot of stuff is like that. It's a bummer because it's not, it's like, it's like edutainment. And it's like, I'm not looking for comedy to educate me. Yeah. No, I'd like to <laughs> laugh. <laughs> yes. I'd like it to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Carter, I'm done. Okay. I'm done. Carrie's done now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Carrie's done. Yeah. I was trying to, I was muting myself and trying to watch the stream on another computer so that I could hear what oh. Carrie was saying. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I assume that what you just spoke about was the woke comedy phenomenon, which, yes, uh, yes. Carrie, of course, knows a lot about, has a lot to say about, because she used to manage comedians. Um, and it is, it's pretty ridiculous, but Hey, uh, instead people can read you and, uh, and they can laugh about the unwoke comedy. Um, and also I appreciate you writing about, uh, the Russian doll show and calling it a Gen Xer show, which I hadn't really realized as a Gen Xer myself until you wrote about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, it is a very Gen X show. Yeah. Uh, well, Ada Calhoun had written an article in um, 
O magazine about uh, Gen X women midlife crisis. And it seemed really apropos of Russian Doll. Since then, I've also read an article about how Russian Doll is like the addiction cycle. And I thought that was interesting. Oh. I really just thought that, yeah. I right? thought of that, yeah. Because she just keeps waking up in the bathroom, yeah. splashing water on her face. And things kind of like spiral out of control eventually, trip. right? Like they like right. they get worse and worse and worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was fast. And she like delves into her job. I liked the show yeah. a lot. I thought the... I thought the acting was terrific. Um, one of the actresses went to my grad school and she was terrific then. She's terrific now. And uh, I think Natasha Leone is great. Yeah, I loved that show. It was sad. It was a sad show, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, the ending was frustrating uh, as expected, I guess, but it was uh, it was a fun show. So yeah. let I let we can talk pop culture shows too, but I, I, <laughs> I want to respect the audience. I promised we'd talk about Mark Twain and The Simpsons. So, okay. um, and Michael Jackson he and Michael Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you wrote this article in Quillette called the folly of disappearing art and culture. And mm -hmm. this is something that, uh, one of the things that really bothers me about this is it's very, it's done. Everything here is done very quietly. So if you're not really paying attention, you're not mm -hmm. going to notice a lot of things people notice, right? They notice changes right. in language. They notice, uh, protests about things. They notice, um, you know, they notice a lot of social justice stuff, um, but this is actually insidious because you, it, and, and you don't, you don't notice it if you're not paying attention, but you were paying attention. Um, can you just tell us about, tell us the gist of this article, maybe give a couple examples, um, that you were writing. About. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the Simpsons had an episode, I guess in their second season, something like that, um, where Michael Jackson was one of the voices on the episode, a character that was based on himself, that was like the Michael Jackson character. And Matt Groening and the other executive producers decided to pull the episode from the canon. So now that's not, if you're streaming Simpsons, that episode's not cool. If you buy the DVDs, that episode's not gonna be available. And um, I thought that was really interesting that you have the creators pulling that work, even though they've certainly been willing to stand by it through all of this and it was the emergence of the finding what was it the leave um documentary that made them pull yeah. so i thought that was pretty interesting also a couple of years ago i think it was 2011 mark twain's huck finn was being released without the um racially offensive slurs included and i think that that was pretty bad if especially in an author like twain who was opposed to racism, who was, you know, in favor of equality, um, who showed the reality of, of what his time was like and these kids in that time to pull something like that, I think is also kind of crazy because how do we know who we are and where we've come from if we just keep erasing our past? Doesn't that make us doomed to repeat it? Certainly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you, you described like rose-colored glasses, right? Looking at yeah. your past with rose-colored glasses. Yeah, because I think that what we're doing is we're taking critical race and gender theory and we're applying it to everything in the past as well. And while it certainly is a useful way to look at things, it can't be the only way we look at things. We have to be able to look at things through a variety of perspectives in order to get some sort of synthesis as to what we think and what reality is and, and 
you know, if there's any kind of objectivity out there, it's not because we're going to look at things with one perspective, but because we're going to look at things with a variety of perspectives and some come to, you know, a synthesis of that. Yeah. And, and Michael Jackson, to me, that one of the important things about Michael Jackson, it, it's not just that he was a child molester. And by the way, I haven't seen the documentary. I'm going off of rumors. I, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm, I, I know that for certain, but let's assume that's true. Um, it's not, it's not necessarily just that that's outrageous. I mean, that's obviously outrageous, but it's that he was so visible and public and no one noticed. He worked with all these people and he mm -hmm. was embedded in the entertainment industry and still was allowed to, to participate. And um, it's almost to me like, you know, you could try and go erase everything Harvey Weinstein has touched too, but it's important. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's important for us to have the understanding that these people get away with this stuff mm -hmm. um, and there's people around them that are letting them get away or looking the other way or maybe not looking hard enough or not noticing things. And if we just start erasing them from culture, I think we'll just become more naive as a culture. We'll be, you know, if you look back and you're like, well, gee, no one ever did anything wrong or said anything bad because all of our history has been whitewashed. Um, Right. We'll really be take, you know, we'll be really shocked when an evil person comes along. Right? right. I mean, the other thing, too, that that happens that I think is important to look at and through the lens of the, you know, critical race thing is like, so we have all of these artists throughout history going back to, you know, forever. Um, mm -hmm. We don't know a lot about everybody's personal life. Um, and so even if the art from the I mean, I think the recent thing was like, apparently Dickens was not such a great guy. And it's like, oh, that's so shocking that Dickens wasn't such a great guy to his family or whatever. But it's like, what we have is the work of um, the dead, dead white men, if you will, continuing to stand because we don't know a lot about their personal lives and how they treated people or because we forgive them the error of their era. And then what we're doing is we're saying, hey, 20th century artists, women, you know, African-Americans, people who overcame systemic bias and who overcame misogyny and all of that stuff to achieve and to express themselves and to make great work. We're holding them to these standards and saying like, you know, you're the ones who are responsible to uphold the best humanity has to offer both in your work and in your personal life. And we know that Michael Jackson's dad was a tyrant. So- yeah. You know, the same with Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby and himself, which is one of the greatest comedy specials of all time, comedy albums at the time, for sure. Uh, he talks about how he was beaten as a child and he makes light of it, um, which I experienced abuse as a child. And like, I've made light of it, you know, like it still sucks, whatever. But like the thing is, and I'm not saying that because something horrible was done to you, that makes it OK for you to do horrible things to other people. But there has to be some level of understanding for these artists who really tried their hardest and achieved amazing things in one area of their life and were not able to live up to our best expectations for them in all of the other areas of their life. Who is? Look at our great political leaders. You know, look at, look at all of the great people that we have adored. What is it that they... They have offered their soul, they have offered their artistic expression, and they have failed drastically in myriad other ways. Of course they have. Of course they have. 
How can anybody mm. be an ideal at everything? How can we expect this of people? We have to, I think, and maybe it's because, you know, I'm sure that I'm a terrible person in a variety of ways. I'm sure that everybody is. And mm-hmm. it's like I go out there and I really try and give my best in all areas. And sometimes I yell at my kid and then I'm just like, ah, like, I, I'm so sorry. I just yelled at you. I'm really sorry about that, you know, or like whatever it is, death over a homeless. It's That's horrifying. That is horrifying. Or you bet shops or iPhones and you ignore it. You know, we ignore the the migrant laborers who are paid pennies or whatever they're paid now to pick grapes and strawberries. We don't pay any attention to that. We go about our lives every day ignoring the tragedies that are going on at the border or ignoring the, you know, and who are just murdered all around the world mm-hmm. or whatever horrible fun. Aren't we culpable for them because we are not paying attention because we are not engaging with that in some level and if we are then oughtn't we give forgiveness oughtn't we find some way for for grace for these people who have given us so much and taken so much and destroyed so much but like i don't know i maybe it's just no i agree with you i think (laughs) i think you've hit upon exactly the problem with uh with trying to erase uh erase things from our history because they because we find out that a, a human is a human do you know what right. i mean like yeah we are monstrous that what michael jackson did if he's if he's a pedophile that's monstrous but at what point do you and where do you draw the line because we're all capable right. of great evil and i'll tell you like a lot of these comics uh <laughs> i i worked with some sjw comics they speak the right politics but if you were to judge them based on how they treat other people or, you know, then we would be getting rid of their art as well. Like a lot of, right. I don't know. We'd have to get rid of everything. I mean, and I was really of- shocked to discover that Anne Sexton, who was a poet that I loved, um, sexually molested her daughter. Like, wow. I didn't know this. And I found Me out this recently, and I think I mentioned it in the article, but like, what a horror. What, maybe I mentioned it in something else. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mentioned it in a piece with the post-millennial, but it's like, um, what a horror. Are we going to erase her? And then as much as we are holding up these great men to destroy them, it's like we're giving a, pa- are we giving a pass to all of the women who were neglectful and abusive of their children by virtue of their need and drive to achieve in ways outside of domestic life and outside of, you know, maternal impulses. What about these women? You mm-hmm. know, like, and I think if we had a situation where all of the children who were abused by their mothers, their overachieving, powerful mothers, stood up and were like, hey, my mom did this. My mom, we'd have to take down all the women as well. And we don't do, I don't know why we don't do that. Like, can't we at least, ha- if we're going to ha- if we're going to do this, can't we do it according to some sort of standard and be rigorous about it? Like, what's going on? It also seems like cherry picking to top everything else off. It's totally cherry picking. So that's sort of my issue with all that. It just doesn't seem reasonable. And there's so many different aspects of it because also to erase our past, like we were just talking about, then how how do we even know if we are? We won't know. Yeah. How do you prevent 
like you said, history from repeating itself. If you don't know so what history is. So I, I missed some of that. Carrie. Yeah, we don't get to choose. Sorry, our Carrie just said I'm done. So I'm assuming that I. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Carrie and I are communicating oh, over okay. Signal this whole time. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, at least okay. Signal's not yeah, censoring fire. us. Um, right. Yeah, so I, I missed uh, some of that, but uh, um, or uh, a lot of it, but it, it's. Um, I think I. No, no, it's so good. I, to me, there's a there's an inherent pro so I like seeing that people like Mike. I mean, obviously, I, it's horrible if he if he was a child molester, right? Or Bill Cosby did horrible things or whatever. Um, but I actually think it's healthy for everyone to see um, that some of these people have a very dark side because we tend to worship people, you know, just because they're good at the guitar or good at singing or they're funny. We tend to then like we tend to like a very binary view of the world. We're like, this person is either all good or all bad. And the truth is like, mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't care what a lot of celebrities think about a bunch of stuff because they're good at what they do, but that doesn't mean that they're qualified or even good people in any other aspect of their life, right? And it, and instead of treating people like humans, we treat them like gods. And so I, I think it's actually healthy. I can say, I like Michael Jackson's music. I'm going to continue to listen to Michael Jackson's music. And if he was a child molester, he was a horrible individual morally. Okay. Like that's mm -hmm. not, those, that's right. not contradictory. Yeah. Like if the guy who invented, I mean, maybe I won't pick on something modern like an iPhone, but like, you know, if, <laughs> if Thomas Edison, if Thomas Edison turns out to have been a horrifically racist, bigoted, horrible, maybe he was, I don't know, child molesting, serial killer. I'm still going to turn the lights on. I'm still going to use electricity, right? Definitely he was still brilliant. Still use electricity. Right? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think it's important because I think it's important that we we see people as a as as, as a whole, right? And say, okay, mm -hmm. like people have brilliant people can be evil. Um yeah. and and that 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 happens, right? Yeah. I think that that's true. I also think there's something to be said about um like, for example, if I see an interview with an artist that I like, I just try not to read the interview. I don't, yeah. wanna, I don't <laughs> right. know about my favorite actor's <laughs> personal life, because then I'll just be like, oh, you suck as a person. Why do yeah, I then, know that about you? Let me just go watch your movies. You know? Yeah, no, I feel I feel <laughs> the same part. way. There was a uh, who was it? Crap. Maybe Depp? I should. I don't need I should to name know her. Oh, yeah. Johnny Depp's horrible life. <laughs> yes. I don't need to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know who it was. Parker Posey. Like I loved Parker Posey uh -huh. and all the Christopher Guest stuff, and I think like she was brilliant. And then I saw an interview with her one time, and she just—I I don't know if this is just a bad day or if this is who she was—but she was just like as like she was as dumb as a sack of hammers or so. Like she was. Oh, I was terrible. like, oh fuck. Damn it! Yeah. I I like I had a crush on you. Now I'm like, eh. and now every time I see her, I'm like, eh. Like, I ended up with that with about, about like Gwyneth Paltrow. I was like, come on, yes. why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but she's why still a brilliant actress. Thanks. At least Terrific. Parker Posey is right. So yeah. Um, sorry, Carrie, were you talking? I saw your mouth moving in the corner, but I, okay. Uh, uh, it's hard to not be a. Uh, it's hard to not be a, a patriarchal man explaining whatever talk over a carried person today. I can't mm -hmm. hear her. Um, right. <laughs> so I'm your moderator. Yeah. So, um, so they're erasing this stuff. Um, they, they did it with Mark Twain, although Mark Twain's mm -hmm. work is actually out of copyright. So you can go, I looked up yesterday, you can go to the 
Gutenberg, I think it's called the Gutenberg Free Library or Gutenberg Press right. Free Library or something like that. Uh, you can you can download the stuff. Um, and uh, it 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 seems very authoritarian to me, and it seems kind of like this, it's this rewriting history thing. Um, do you see it getting worse or do you do you, do you think we're like at peak craziness there or are we not done? Well, I don't think there's any such thing as peak craziness. You know, I think it's just, I think we can always get crazier. Um, but there Excellent. was one thing that I just wanted to mention, which was um, a lot of people have commented to me like, oh, Graining and the executive producers were censoring or were, were altering their own work. So how is that even censorship if they're altering their own work? And I don't think it matters who's altering the work, whether it's the artist or not. I mean, artists have written retractions of novels and stuff like that for years. Right. Like, um, yeah, that happens. And I think that it's still part of the same um, impulse toward authoritarianism, whether the artist is self-censoring themselves or whether they're being censored by an external force. There was this thing yesterday um, that I actually wrote about, uh, was it yesterday? I don't know, um, that I wrote about with Barrett Wilson at Post Millennial about um, how Peter Jordan Peterson's books have been wiped from one of the bigger bookstores in New Zealand following the attack in Christchurch. Um, so crazy. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah. Like, what does he yeah, have to do with the attack in Christchurch? Really He's about as related as Chelsea Clinton. But that, yeah, okay. for real. <laughs> yeah. So that didn't make any sense. But people were commenting on that saying like um, a bookstore has the right to do that. It's just part of commerce. It's just economic. That's like that's how censorship works. Right. You know, there's first of all, New Zealand doesn't have a I don't know what if they have amendments and things like that. But um, there's they don't have freedom of speech, which can be done by the government. Yeah, only only the U.S. Right. has I the mean, freedom of speech codified. Um, so. So weird. We're such weirdos. I know. So, um, I mean, I'm into it, but, you know, so there's violation of, of the First Amendment, and that is something that pretty much only the government can do. But censorship can be done by anyone who has that kind of power over words and artwork. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's weird, too, right? Like, yeah. Peterson doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, and there's a difference but they to, think be, that if between they... saying, like, yes, I think that the bookstore should have a right to do that. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't think they should do it. <laughs> I think it's those are like, two very different things. Two very right. Different things. Yeah, yeah. I think the bookstore has a right to not carry Jordan Peterson's books. And I think they're wrong for censoring them as a result of the New Zealand shooting. Exactly. Um, That's how I feel so, about the Simpsons thing. Do they have the right to remove their work? Sure. Should sure. they do it? No. 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 Right. Um, and, uh, and that's the distinction. Can Sam we actually, Sam this is, this is, um, it's reminded me of a couple things, but, uh, really quickly, I wanted to point out something, uh, uh, before I forget about the previous conversation about kind of censoring older work like Mark Twain or what, or that kind of thing. Um, what's interesting to me is we're willing to whitewash Mark Twain, right? So now when people read Mark Twain, they won't see any use of the N word or whatever. Right. And so we're kind of willing to whitewash certain people and pretend like this is the era wasn't what it was. And that those words weren't used or whatever it is. We make it look nicer and prettier. Mm -hmm. Um, and more up to today's standards, I guess, is a better way to put it. Right. But we're totally willing to look into someone's tweets from five years ago and like call <laughs> them out and ban them when words were like, like things actually have changed in five or 10 years. Like, oh, you used to be right. able to make these jokes, but now you can't make those jokes. And so we're going to go back in history and like, why not whitewash my Twitter account then? Like, oh, that's bad to say now. Well, then like, just, just mm -hmm. pretend I didn't say it. Um, 
but that's not allowed. Um, it's it's a weird double standard, and you kind of I think you kind of were alluding to, or maybe you said this more directly, and I missed it. But you were kind of alluding to the fact that like it holds these modern artists to a an a higher and unrealistic standard. Um, I think that's right. I yeah. think it does. I think it does because we're supposed to we're supposed to know better. It kind of reminds me of like um, kind of reminds me like on Star Trek when uh, like in the next generation when they'll go to some world and they'll <laughs> thank be you like, for being a geek. Oh, but okay, go ahead. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unapologetic about that. Yeah, no, I've seen I'm all the episodes. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in a while. So, but they'll like go to some world and they'll be like, "Oh, we have to respect their custom." Like the one where uh, Winchester from Mash, whose name I don't remember, mm. and he's like gonna have to commit suicide because that's the custom, even though Troy's mom falls in love yeah. with him. In the end, Picard is like, "Oh, we have to respect their custom that you just kill yourself at sixty-five, right. and we're just gonna be party and respect their custom." And it's like, okay, on the one hand, they'll do that, but then they'll land. And on other places, and you know, then they'll hold themselves to these standards. So they'll do that, okay? Respect the custom when Chester has to kill himself. But then they, then for their own purposes within the Federation, they'll, you know, wipe out superstition and wipe out, you know, try and wipe out religious bias and things like that. And it's like, what makes the Federation so much more woke that they should? you know, eliminate all of these things from their culture, but they're going to uphold it somewhere yeah. else. That's yeah. it's kind of weird and condescending. And it indicates to me that they don't. That's so right. yeah, it, it's weird it, and condescending. It indicates to me that they don't it's actually view those other cultures, those other planets as I can't believe we're having a serious discussion about Star Trek. It indicates to me that they view those other. There are only serious <laughs> conversations. But it, no, it indicates that they view the people on those other planets as um, subhuman in some way. And I, and I sub. So, yeah. Because not equipped, yeah. not equipped for yeah. their because what you should, like to understand that. Yeah, stuff. you yeah. should be like your culture. You should obviously, I think you should strive to make your culture moral. And if you're doing things like killing people um, for speaking out or because they're a certain age or mm -hmm. what they look wrong or do the wrong, you know, sleep with the wrong person or whatever it is, those are all bad things culturally. And you should weed them out. And then when you encounter in a culture who still has some of those practices, your goal, I would think, should be to like educate them and assume, like, hey, by the way, you know, we figured out this morality thing a little bit better than you. You shouldn't be, <laughs> you shouldn't be killing gay people or whatever it is that they're doing, right? Right. Um, right. But, but we don't. We're like, oh no, that's your culture. You, I'm sure you couldn't understand right. us, and you're just backwards. And and your gay people don't really matter to us because they're not our gay people. So throw them off buildings. I'm, I right. I moved from Star Trek to Islam, but that's a separate issue. Well, it's all part of it, really. But then also, also the other way, too, if you have, like, what we have now, so this thing at the UN um, is, uh, so the UN is trying to replace the, um, the language about women and girls with language of, about gender. And so you have both Sheila Jeffries and, you know, uh, female forward Catholic women complaining about this, saying, like, please do not erase women and girls and replace it with gender. But you also have like progressive um, social justice types saying, yes, replace women and girls with gender. So isn't that also, okay, so if that's what we're doing, if we're saying like, okay, we are going to replace concepts of women and girls with concepts of gender, and we are going to give you all of this stuff about that. And like, here's also a bunch of bags of rice. 
what is the difference between doing that and exporting aid packages with Christian missionaries? And aren't we supposed to hate the exportation of aid packages with Christian missionaries? Wasn't that some sort of colonialist be whatever? And now we're just doing it again, but with a different ideology. What is the difference? Like, isn't it still just the same kind of like weird value prioritization of colonialism? Right. Well, are you right. are you implying that the progressives so, are hypocritical in some way? I don't, I'm not <laughs> trying to say that. I think we all are a little bit, right? Because I also think that Picard should have said, like, no, Winchester should not get killed. But wouldn't that Oh, no, I think he should so have said he shouldn't get killed. Right? Yeah. Where are we driving? Yeah. yeah. Where? What are we driving yeah. at? What, and why are there no standards by which to make any sort of judgment? Every time we turn around, being wiped out and so now we have this thing where it's like all right so we get rid of christianity and we get rid of religious um fundamentals that we have been using to figure out how to make decisions okay so we do that but we don't replace it with anything else um and that's weird right shouldn't we replace it with something yeah. And what well, is it that we're going to replace it? With? Well, they've tried to replace it with this, what I call the SJW ideology. Um, and I, I know some people, mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I don't know if you use that term or not. I've been told not to use it. It's a pejorative, but I used to be an SJW. So I'm like, whatever, I'm going to use it mm -hmm. because it, 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 it uh, telegraphs sure. to the most, like the greatest number of people, exactly what I'm talking about. It's the best term okay. that I can think of. Um, but so. And as a female, you know. Yeah. <laughs> as a cis female, uh, but they've tried to replace it with that. And I actually, you know, in looking back at my experience, I, um, I preached this SJW belief system for almost 20 years and it did take the place of my religion for me. And I can look back on that and say that now it's just that um, I know you mentioned grace, you, the word grace earlier right. and something I've noticed about the SJW ideology as religion or as a cult is that, they have a they have a concept of original sin, which is your privilege, and they have this idea of like you have to repent, you have to constantly um, acknowledge, like check your privilege or what have you. But they don't right. have a concept of grace or forgiveness, really, because you can yeah. apologize, but that's just an admission of guilt. Like an apology is just permission to get beaten up. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, mean, I mean, do you have any still the humiliation and shame? You know, we haven't got rid of that. Yeah. Essential. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I okay, Carter. Did you ask me a question? Well, no, I, well, I was going to ask you, what do you, uh, I don't know what your religious beliefs are, or, but um, wh what do you think about that? What do you think about it as, as, as religion, SJW ideology as religion or taking the place of, do you see any analogies there or? I think that's probably what's going on. I've, I was thinking for a while that like gender is the new religion, you know, because it's like, it's, it's like we've replaced the soul with gender, this innate gender that is who I really huh? am and who I really am expressing. Right. And that seems kind of crazy that gender would be the soul because gender is so shallow and it seems like the idea of the soul is so deep. Um, I was, I was raised Catholic. My dad's second wife was Catholic and was horrified to learn that I had been baptized by the time they got married. So I ended up being raised Catholic by her. Um, but my dad's family is Lutheran evangelical and my mom's family was pretty much atheist by the time I moved in with them when I was like 15 or 16. 
Um, and now I am a practicing Catholic. I'm raising my son Catholic. But like, I have a lot of issues with, uh, I have a lot of issues with faith lately. So I'm not really a great person to ask about, <laughs> about that. I, it's, a, it's sort of a constant struggle. I find faith to be very difficult to maintain. I, I do uh, too. Any kind of real belief system. It, I find it really difficult. I, I try and do it because I feel like it, there are guidelines that are good guidelines um, that are primarily about love and kindness. And I think those are the most important things, love, kindness, forgiveness, um, that kind of stuff. But I do find it increasingly difficult, especially with regard to the, um, you know, child abuse scandals in the Catholic church, which is just so damning. Like that just sucks. And then also um, the refusal to let women be ordained as mm -hmm. priests. I think that's really short-sighted as well. Um, there's this idea, and again, I just went to this panel the other day, which was interesting. I wish I'd gone to like all panels, but um, there's this idea that women are at their best in service and at their best in um, living up to ideals of femininity and things like that. And I think that uh, I think that that's sort of short-sighted as well. Um, the enforcement of gender roles, I think, is short-sighted so where do i land with faith i find it remarkably difficult but i do think that human beings will always try and create some sort of value system just in order to have something some sort of guidelines to use as a way to figure out what decisions to make because you need it's like a what's a like a value system that's based in anything rigorous is sort of your control group you know you'll say these are i have this decision to make about what decision to make the decision to make according to these guidelines would be x uh what i want to do is y or z how do i figure out what the right thing to do is how do i either meld those things or convince myself that the guidelines are correct or you know reassess my guidelines and standards and come up with an, another way of doing it i think that a value system um that's based in religious ideology can be very useful for that and for that, uh, for a moral structure, not that you leave it alone, not that you just let it exist out there and you never question it. I think that we constantly need to be questioning our beliefs. We constantly need to be questioning where our beliefs came from, why we think that. You have to interrogate what you believe or else you don't have any idea what you believe if you're not constantly interrogating it and figuring out what it means and how it's applied, you know, and we're never going to find the categorical imperative. It's not out there. It doesn't exist. So that's why I think it's good to have, um, you know, moral standards and, a, and a, a basis of values, which is what I'm trying to give my kid, right? Also, the idea that like, without um, a foundation in Christianity, and, you know, Judeo-Christianity specifically, it'd be hard to understand literature of the West forever. So I think that's useful too. It gives you a language of references. Um, it gives you like all of these ways that you can just like dig deeper down into things and figure out where it came from. I, I'm working on a play now called um, Sanctuary at the Oak Grove. And it was a commission from a company called SF Olympians uh, on the, for the goddess Diana. And like, it, 
so the goddess Diana is this fascinating character, which I didn't know anything about until I started working on this play. But basically, I'm taking this play and I'm throwing like every reference that I can come up with at this play, you know, like everything like poison apples and like original sin and, you know, romantic comedy tropes and like anything I can come up with. I'm just like throwing it at this play. And the play is just like this bouncy ball that's just going crazy. <laughs> that makes sense any sense at all but like it is with the um language of our great books and our ongoing religious exploration um that we can try at least to come to an understanding of who we are where we come from and what it is that we want what is the driving force of humanity there's this other play that i love um wait i'm gonna get it wait hold on hold on i know right where it is Okay, so this is this writer, Len Jenkin, if I may, and I love this play. It's called Dark Ride. And at the end, it's like two pages of characters saying, I'm not interested in philosophy, just tell me how it ends. I feel like that's my basic. Like, I am interested in philosophy, but it's because I want to know how it ends, right? That's sort of why I'm interested in transhumanism and humanity plus. It's like, if we can really extend life forever, then we'll get up and anyway. Book. very cool so <laughs> yeah i'm so that's my theater tangent for you i enjoyed it all right i think carrie's done. Right. i don't want to talk over you but carrie's messaging me saying she's done i'm all right you're thumbs upping um the atheist missed the conversation on uh religion but that's okay uh okay you can watch yes, it later. Yes, I can watch it later. So actually, two things. One, by the way, Libby, uh, Barrett Wilson is in the chat, and he says, I don't know the context of this because it's old, <laughs> uh, but Barrett says, Libby, it's David Ogden Styers. S-T-I-E-R-S. I don't know what you were talking about, but there you go. Um, oh, that's uh, Winchester. That must be Winchester. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the actor. I got it. Okay. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think maybe a good way to kind of, um, wrap this up cause we're, we're running a little long and, um, not that we can't run long, but, uh, my earbuds are dying anyway. Yeah. I, I I'm going to, I'm going to quote you because, uh, you talked about your own writing experience and kind of, uh, where we are right now in terms of the arts and especially with respect to writing. And I, I love this little passage here. Um, this is after you kind of described how you were you're being told or you're trying to figure out how to not be, you were accepting kind of the social justice ideology and you're kind of figuring out, okay, how do I not be racist? How do I uh, be a writer that's respectful and, and has characters that are uh, accurate and are not like punching down by mistake or whatever? Um, or, you know, perpetuating stereotypes. And you write, I wasn't the only, I wasn't the only one tying myself up in knots trying to figure out if I was a racist asshole too steeped in whiteness to ever pick up a pen. And then you say, after my experience in childhood of being told not to write because I, what I was writing was immoral, I was getting the same message as an adult. There were things I should not write about because it was immoral. So that's where we got to how we, where we are now. The American Indian Academic Theater has come to the conclusion that it, it is it is racist for a what independent. Does it say it Indian? says Indy? So Should say independent. Uh, Indy. Sorry, maybe yeah. that was Google just, you know, 
tweaking some syllables so it sounded different. Yeah. Um, anyway, you write, the American indie and academic theater has come to the conclusion that it is racist for a white writer to only write plays about white people and racist for a white writer to write plays with racial and or ethnically diverse characters. So you're basically racist for right. writing, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It kind of the same thing in the young adult, so young adult literature. Oh my God, for real, that's yeah. a mess. And so that's where we are. Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a young adult book and I'm just kind of like, I'll just keep that right here on my hard drive. <laughs> yeah, now's not a good time yeah. to release a young adult book if you're a, a white no. person. Um, yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe yeah. soon. If you're a person, you don't have to be a, you don't have Oh, to that's be a true. The, there was the Asian problem. woman who was uh, yelled yeah. at because. A Asian woman and there was a, there was a black writer as well. Oh, really? I didn't know that one. Okay. So, so no one can release yeah, a book. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. No one can release a book for children. <laughs> you're you're supposed to. Except for Jazz Jennings, really. There's yeah. a, there's a phrase they Jazz use. Jennings. They, awesome. they call it stay in your lane. Um, all right. Well, where they're like, look, you can only I, write uh, about, okay. Libby. Um, I don't even know what my lane is. I'm just like, okay, yeah. I'll just stay here. Yeah, just I yeah. think the you're just my supposed to shut up. My teachers are racist. <laughs> right, I'll get I'll get right on that. <laughs> yeah, you seem to be great at that. Um, yeah, I I excel at keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, with that in mind, sorry uh, to everyone and to our guest Libby for the horrible technical difficulties we're having today. It is incentive to switch away from Google Hangouts. I barely you could it. hear everyone just fine. I think you were you were good. Um, so yeah, uh, I had no any no Libby, issue. why don't you tell people where they should follow you, how they should pay attention to what you're doing, where you want people to go um, to to see your work? Okay. Um, so I'm on Twitter uh, with everybody else. <laughs> um, L i eight eight y i n c the Twitter. That's also my website, and I have a Facebook author page, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's generally it. I'm. I think I'm writing more in the Federalist this week, hopefully. Um, Great. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, it was thank a lot you. of fun talking to you. Thank um, you, Livy. Thanks, Carrie. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Carter. Carrie, I assume you said something that which is great. I have no idea. Um, thank you, Google, for your strategic incompetence. Um, it's uh, the, the, the big tech companies. Yeah, they seem to be able to strategically be incompetent when necessary. So appreciate that. Um, everyone, thanks for watching. Uh, share the show. Subscribe to YouTube. Share the show. Um, follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Space. And uh, we will see you next week, possibly... Um, we'll still be on YouTube, but possibly broadcasting from something other than Google Hangouts since Google Hangouts seems to have it out for us. So uh, anyway, I guess okay. that's it. Thanks, everyone. All right, thanks. All right, bye.